0: The rest of us we're going to uh begin a new series, new year, new series. I was uh, impressed to travel a journey to the Old Testament and somewhere there be able to uh lead lead us uh, these Sundays uh in lessons about uh about the Old Testament and I wasn't sure exactly where and I was trying to figure things out with that and and uh was narrowed down to actually the book of Samuel. And uh, I thought, well, we're doing a Wednesday night Bible study, and I don't want to double up too much with that. But then also too, God led me more into a specific study of the life of Daniel, uh, David, excuse me, life of David. Be able to learn more about him. And boy, there's there's so much about that guy's life to be able to learn from. And so we're going to take this journey in the life of David from, uh, from now until all the way actually through May. We'll have some interruptions in between there for Easter, a few weeks there for Easter, and also a few other moments of missionary and uh, Jamie George. He's coming in concert, the violinist. He'll be joining us in February. So uh, there will be some times there where we'll take a little break, but uh, we'll get back at it. But I think there's a lot here to learn from... Um, the life of David, and uh, I trust that you also, too, will gain quite a bit out of it as well, as I've been gaining a lot from the studies that I've uh, gotten into with this. But when, when you were a child, did you have any heroes? Maybe, maybe you had heroes, maybe you didn't. If it, if it was maybe Superman that type of hero. Maybe you wanted to be faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, able to bend steel in your bare hands. Maybe you used a bath towel for a cape and flew around the house performing imaginary feats of strength and courage. I'm not trying to say anything I did, but maybe you (laughs) did. But then as you grew up, you discovered that your hero, Superman, maybe, was not the best kind of hero. You found it impossible to be like him. No matter how hard you tried, bullets simply wouldn't bounce off of you, and neither would harsh words, neither would fears, and neither would disappointments, or illnesses, or a hundred other weaknesses that are common to a frail, fallen humanity. Bullets didn't bounce off David either. As, uh, as we read about his life, it's astonishing at how open and vulnerable he was. He records his weaknesses and struggles for all the world to read. In Psalm 6, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail me because of all my foes. And then in Psalm 51, familiar psalm, of repentance there. In verses 3 and 4, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Yet in spite of all his weaknesses and fears and doubts and sins, David was also a man of faith. His life illustrates a a tenacious trust in God and an intense desire to know Him. He said in Psalm 27, verses 1 and also verse 4, Says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to seek him in his temple. So, because of these, these qualities, God was able to use David mightily, molding and, and shaping him into a man after his own heart. And I believe we need this kind of three-dimensional role model today, someone who allows us to be fully human, yet who inspires us to look beyond our weaknesses and frailties to the living God. And this series allows us to observe David from the beginning of his career to the end of his life. And we won't cover every detail, but we will visit key events that reveal Uh, this multifaceted character of this remarkable man named David. And David's life extended from around 1040 to 970 BC. And 2 Samuel chapter 5 records uh, that David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The biblical writers view David as the greatest of Israel's kings and one through whom the ultimate king, the Messiah, eventually came. I trust that as we journey through the life of David, we all will develop a passionate heart for God. And that's the intent of this series. Help us develop that heart for God be able to go after God's heart. <clears throat> now, NFL, we're about freshly into the playoffs, and uh, some teams are still involved. Sorry, Patriots. Um, other teams are not, uh, uh, and, and those teams that are not involved with the playoffs are now looking for the draft, and looking who they're going to draft for next year. And at the end of the sports season, teams get to pick players for the next year based upon their season record. You know, Worst gets the first pick. Normally, in NBA, it's kind of weird. But, uh, you know, these draft picks have been difficult to discern who would be the best choice. And you look in the NFL draft in uh, 2012, uh, Seattle drafted a guy in the 75th pick. His name was Russell Wilson. Um, Another guy, the 49ers chose in, in the 1979 draft in the third round as the 82nd pick. His name is Joe Montana. Uh, another guy, maybe maybe uh, Neil knows him a little bit, uh, drafted in the 64 NFL draft, the 129th pick. His name was Roger Staubach, <laughs> QB for, uh, for the Cowboys. All these people. And then the most incredible one in 2000 NFL draft at the 199th pick was a guy named Tom Brady. <laughs> so all these other teams passed over him, thinking, no, 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 we don't need him. We, we got other people here. In the NBA, it's, it's no better either. You look at the, the draft picks that went on there. In 96, Kobe Bryant was uh, picked by uh, the Charlotte Hornets in the 13th pick and then traded to the Lakers during draft day. Those players, uh, it's just, uh, if you're a sports guy, you, you understand those things. If you look at the Portland Trailblazers, they had a difficulty in trying to figure out who was the best draft pick, and you know about these things. Uh, But did you know that in 1976, the ABA was dispersed, and all the players then from that group were made available for the NBA, and then, uh, so there was a a draft pick that went on among the teams, and Portland was able to uh, draft a, a player called Moses Malone, a power forward that turned out to be incredible uh, later on. He was uh, traded, though, to Buffalo for a 1978 draft pick, a first-round pick. And so the Blazers in 1978 chose to uh, use their first, round, uh, first pick, number one pick, for a guy named Michael Thompson. And evidently um, picked five, five choices after that was a guy named Larry Bird. Hmm, missed that one. And then in '83, we were able to get Clyde Drexler, the 14th pick. All these other teams missed out on that as well. And then, of course, you're well aware, possibly, of the 1984 draft pick where Blazers picked uh, Sam Bowie as second, their second, their first, you know, number one pick for themselves, but second draft pick in the whole thing. Uh, actually, a little earlier, a little later, right after that, the next pick was Michael Jordan, so they missed out on that a little bit. And most recently, in 2007, a guy named Greg Oden was uh, our first pick in the NBA. And uh, we decided to go with him instead of Kevin Durant. (laughs) We could have had him. Anyway, all these things to say that it's difficult to really discern who you have before you by the outward appearances, what's going on. And that's where we usually make our, our decisions and our judgments is, is looking at someone first and going, hmm, how do they size up? What goes on here? How have they been doing? How does this work? And so as we go through this series, we're going to realize some things about that as well, too. Um, David really wasn't a person that you would look at and say, there's the king that will take care of Israel and he will lead the nation. It will be wonderful. But the, a, a person's appearance kind of affects our initial opinion of him or her. We, we meet someone and what they look like or how they act or whatever, we get some opinions already. But it takes time to get to know the person. And thank the Lord we we're able to spend some time with some people, to be able to get to know people, get to know them not just from the outside, but get to know them who they are on the inside as well. Well, let me give you a little background on this to to kind of give us a running start into uh, this study in the life of of David. Years earlier, the people of God no longer wanted to be ruled by judges. Instead, they, they wanted a king so that they could be like the other nations around them. And God granted them their requests. And Israel's first king was Saul and was the ideal candidate. He was tall, he was handsome, and he was impressive. And unfortunately, he was also foolish and disobedient. And as the Israel's second king is chosen, the Lord rejects worldly standards of leadership, and he selects David, a man after his own heart. And as we look at this in chapters, and uh, uh, we're in 1 Samuel, by the way, if you haven't turned there yet, but in, in chapters 13 through 15, before the chapter 16 that we're going to be spending time in, we see why Saul was rejected as the king. In chapter thirteen, we see that there were three things, one for each of those chapters, we see what Saul had done to kind of put the nails in his coffin as a king. The first one was impatience. The time had come now for Israel to gather at Gilgal, and Samuel and Saul had agreed months before and and, no, and, and, and then Saul took the credit for his own son's victory at Gibeah in, in, in order to impress the people and get them to follow him. There's a little pride going on there as well, too. And so a gigantic number of Philistines began to assemble. And the longer Saul waited, the more dangerous his position became. And if he were to strike immediately, he could, he could defeat the enemy. But his delay only gave them opportunity to become stronger. So Saul became impatient. And it led him to go ahead without Samuel. And while Saul was con- uh, completing the, the, the offering, the, the prophet appeared. And in verses 11 and 12 of uh, chapter 13, it records Saul's excuses as he tried to put the blame on Samuel and on the people. And he said, I forced, forced myself, he told Samuel, but the prophet knew the truth. And this was the, the beginning of the end. And if God could not trust him in this little matter, How could he trust him with the kingdom? So Saul's impatience cost him the kingdom. Also, too, Saul's pride cost him the patience. We see that in chapter 14. Jonathan, Saul's son, was evidently a godly man, for the Lord gave him uh, in in his armor-bearer a victory over the Philistines. And Saul was only a, a spectator at that time, but he then mustered up his troops, and he was able to share in the victory. But unfortunately, however, Saul had uttered a foolish vow that day, forbidding his soldiers to eat any food. Think of how foolish that was, be able to uh, not allow your your soldiers to nourish themselves, to be ready for battle. But he took that sacrificial vow, thinking that would give him victory, when his heart was not right with God. And he was later to learn that to obey is better than sacrifice. And Jonathan knew nothing about this curse, and so he went ahead... And he ate some honey and was strengthened, and his example of practical wisdom encouraged the army to go ahead and eat after their victory, going against what his father said. And unfortunately, the Jews were so hungry at that time, they ate the meat with the blood in it. And that's a no-no. You don't do that if you're a Jew. It's worse than breaking the vow. So Saul tried to amend this by offering the spoils as a sacrifice to God. Look what we got out of this victory. I'm giving it to you, God. And when the army went to their next engagement, they sought the guidance of of God but failed to get an answer. And this led to Saul's discovery of Jonathan's disobedience and this foolish king, which was a king that was chosen because he was so handsome, because he was so tall, because he was so... Uh, able to, to lead and very humble at that point. But at this point, he became very prideful. And so this foolish king was going to kill his own son because he disobeyed the orders. How easy it is to be convicted about somebody else's sins. The Bible rescued Jonathan, but Saul's actions revealed the darkness of his heart and trouble was soon to come. His pride would bring him low, and then a third thing that uh, put that nail in the coffin of his kingship was uh, found in chapter 15 disobedience. God would give Saul one more chance to prove himself, this time by utterly destroying Israel's old enemies, the Amalekites. Now, you look at this portion of scripture, you're going, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait, isn't this a God of love? What's going on here? But see, God is not only a God of love, but He's a just God. The Amalekites when, when God's people came out of Egypt, Moses was leading them out of Egypt, the Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites as they're coming out and attacked them from behind and went after the, the young and the weak and, uh, and was able to take them down. And so that was so dishonoring and, and in God's sight was so wrong that he said that they will be repaid for this. And so this then in chapter 15 was the moment that the Amalekites were going to be uh, suffering the consequences of their actions. But Saul didn't obey the Lord, and he kept the best of the spoils for himself, and he failed to kill the king, King Agag, of, uh, of the Amalekites. And God told Samuel what Saul had done, and the burden pro- prophet prayed all night. And when Samuel approached Saul, the king lied to him and told him he had obeyed God's word. And just about that time... Saul's sins found him out, for the animals began to make some noise around him. So, okay, you killed everything. So, what's this I hear? (laughs) Uh, Some cattle making some noise here. I hear hear things that I shouldn't be hearing right now. And so, once more, Saul resorted to some excuses. He said, They, the the people, saved the animals. Uh, But we, himself and the leaders, have utterly destroyed the rest. So, it wasn't our fault, (laughs) it was the people. And then Samuel delivered God's message to the rejected king. And Saul had lost his early uh, humility and became proud and disobedient. And he had rebelled against the word of the Lord and had tried to make up for his disobedience by sacrifices. Saul had substituted saying for doing. He substituted excuses for confessions. He substituted sacrifice for obedience. You ever been there? Think you can make up for some things? Thinking that you could probably... uh, say more than actually do what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe that you would um, make excuses for your actions instead of confessing the sin that is there. Maybe you think you could do more for God, make more sacrifices for Him instead of obeying. (laughs) He was too quick to criticize and blame others, and, and, and Saul was unwilling to face and judge his own sins. So when Samuel was about to leave Saul... The king confessed his sins. You know, don't go, don't go, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But his confessions didn't impress the prophet. They, were, they weren't really true confessions. True confessions involves more than just saying, I have sinned. It means repentance and true sorrow for sin, which Saul didn't show. Now, Samuel turned away, Saul held, held onto his robe and ripped it. And Samuel took this as a prophecy that the kingdom would be torn from Saul and given to another, David. And uh, verse thirty of uh, chapter fifteen reveals that that Saul was more concerned about what the people thought than what God thought. And he wanted a good reputation. If he didn't have a good standing with with Samuel, oh, then something wasn't right with Saul. What was going on there? He didn't. He didn't. He wanted the good reputation, but he didn't want true character. And so Samuel worshipped with Saul, and then. <laughs> And after worshiping, then, then Samuel killed the king, Agag. That was supposed to happen. And, uh, but this was the last time that Samuel walked with Saul. He was never to see him again. Saul had lost his best friend. He had lost the Lord's blessing. He had lost the kingdom. And from now on, he would be on a dark, winding road that would end with him becoming a castaway and be being slain by one of the very Amalekites he had refused to destroy. So... Having that background, and bringing us right up into chapter 16. And we'll see how far we can get here today. And I won't go um, beyond what we need to go, but uh, try to get in what we have here. But let's look at this life of David, a man after God's own heart. Now, Saul is a a picture of the carnal life. So David is a picture of the spiritual life, of, of the believer who walks by faith in the Lord. And it's true that David sinned. We, we are very well, of that, we're well aware of that. Uh, but unlike Saul, David confessed his sins and sought to restore his fellowship with God. He didn't excuse it. He didn't cover it up. Well, he tried to cover it up, but he didn't excuse it. He was able to come before God and say, You're right, I have sinned. Now picture a king sitting upon his throne, ruling over a nation and people he had governed for years, but unknown to him... Some distance away, a young boy is about to be secretly anointed to replace him. A young boy who was to become the future king of the nation. And not only is a secret anointing taking place, but this young boy would soon be serving in the royal court at the very feet of the king. And the king would be totally unaware that the young boy was was the future anointed king. Very interesting setup that's going on here. This is a picture of the shift of power. The highest power of a nation being secretly transferred from a ruling king over to a young boy who was destined to become king. This is the story unfolded in this this chapter here of God's Word. and Because of disobedience, King Saul was destined to be removed as king of Israel by the hand of God's judgment. But the work of God among the Israelites was to go on, to continue on. And to carry on the work of God, God had chosen a young boy who had a heart after God's own heart. And this young boy was to become the king, future king of God's people. And from the day of David's secret anointing, we're going to see here in this chapter, to the end of Saul's life, David would be, would be a threat to Saul's claim to, be, uh, to the throne. And Saul would seek to kill David time and time again, as we'll see here in these, these Sundays to come. And this is played out in all these remaining chapters of, of this book. So here we have in verse 1, 1 through 5 of uh, chapter 16, 1 Samuel. We have the mission of Sam, Samuel to anoint a new king. He is to conquer grief and sorrow at this point. If you look at these first five verses with me, we see this. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to, to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. And when they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice as well. So remember, the Lord had rejected Saul and promised to raise up another king, a man after God's own heart, and who was better than Saul. And this was a specific reference to David, and now it was time to anoint him as king. Now Saul was still king and would continue ruling for many more years, but here the Lord commissioned Samuel to secretly anoint a young boy who was to be the future king of the nation. From this point on, the, the story focuses upon the jealousy of Saul toward David and his many attempts to kill the future king of Israel. So in this, verse, this first verse, we see here uh, that the Lord rebukes Samuel in his mourning. He's, he's just... He's, Sitting around, not doing much at all, as far as he doesn't want to do anything. Have you been there before? Had a day where you're just going, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to look at anyone. I don't want to open my eyes. I just want to lay here. Or you were at home. I don't want to leave home. I just want to stay here. It's warm, comfortable. I I don't feel like going anywhere. And it's probably because of situations that have happened in your life that caused you to get into, I guess you would call a funk or depression, or whatever it might be. You don't feel like doing things. You don't feel like going, taking the next step. This is where Samuel was living. He had grieved over his rejection of Saul far too long. Because of Saul's disobedience, the kingdom had been torn from him, and it was Samuel's duty to inform Saul of this. And so the idea of all this happening, you think of Samuel who was a, a judge and prophet that was a, a very good one. And at the beginning when Saul was chosen as king, Samuel was there to anoint him. Samuel was there all along the way with Saul to help him through. Learn the ropes, what needs to be done. You're the first king, no one's ever done this before. So let's take you through and show. So I'm sure Samuel was there all along the way. Good friend of Saul, great relationship, and things started going south. And Saul got to too much power, I guess. But like we saw here, becoming prideful and disobedient to God. All of these things. And So Samuel was mourning not only just the, the, the friendship maybe that he had with Saul, but he's also mourning the fact that Israel was without, going to be without a king. What was going to happen to his people? People, another nation going to come in and, and ravage them because there's no one to lead them? But it is time for Samuel to snap out of his mourning over Saul. And I'm sure Satan wanted him probably to stay there. Satan wanted him to stay in bed, under the covers, not able to, to get out and not take that next step. I'm sure he wanted Samuel stuck there, unable to move with the Lord. But there are times when God tells us to simply move on, to get going. Take that next step. This is what God told Moses at the shores of the Red Sea. He said, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward <laughs> move. It was time for Samuel to go forward as well. When Israel lost the battle to, to Ai because of sin in the camp, Joshua mourned with his face to the earth, and, and, and the Lord came to Joshua and said, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the, de- the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because be- because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says... There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. So God gave Joshua uh, a task. Move forward. Quit sitting around. You're the leader. You need to move forward with this and take care of some things here. Many times we may be down and not really feel like doing anything, but there comes a time when the Lord says, get up and go. And we need to obey. We need to take at least that next step and trust God for the provision of that. We need to be like Daniel. Even though he was sick for days from the visions that, he, that God had given him, he arose and went about the king's business. And then also, God tells Samuel to fill your horn with oil and go. Now, oil here is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, before we get up and go, the Lord wants us filled. The Lord Jesus Himself is filled with the Spirit as well. Uh, and, and, and we also, too, need to realize that we won't be able to do much of anything at all worthwhile if we are not filled with the Spirit and moving forward in that way. And then uh, in, in verse 2, beginning of verse 2, you see that Samuel kind of gives a little protest of this. He feared that if he went to Bethlehem, Saul would kill him. And that just indicates the, the darkness of Saul's heart. that <laughs> Samuel would be killed. But when God leads, there is no reason to fear. If you're heading to a fearful situation, anxious situation, and God is leading you that direction then you need to rest in what God's going to provide in that situation. He will provide for you. The Lord gave a solution then, and we see this in verses 2 and 3. He was to go for the purpose of offering a sacrifice to prevent Saul from being suspicious. So traveling to Bethlehem to offer sacrifice would prevent the arousal of suspicion. And as a Levitical judge, it was the common practice of Samuel to travel from place to place for the purpose of holding court, to deal with legal matters, and to offer sacrifice to atone for unsolved murder cases. And so when when Saul was chosen in the eyes of the Hebrews, he looked like a king, the outward appearance, but he lacked faith and character and everything he needed to be a successful king. And Saul was beautiful in the beginning, but in the end, all his ugliness came out. And so Saul was, Samuel feared for his life. Saul was going to put him to death. He feared for his life. But the Lord had a solution with this, be able to go and sacrifice. And so uh, he also told him to invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice as well. And so the Lord instructed Samuel to do those things and uh, and then to anoint the son indicated by God in verse 3. David's first anointing symbolized God's recognition and also to ordination as well. And there's uh, two other anointings that happen later on as well. There's to establish David as king publicly for the benefit of Judah. But then when Samuel gets into the town of Bethlehem, it's very I kind of giggle about this, he gets there and the officials are going, wait a second, what's he doing here? It's kind of like if you were sitting somewhere among a work situation and your boss comes in and sits down, you're going... What's he doing here? He's not supposed to be here. He's supposed to be somewhere else doing things. I remember on the first couple of years here at Happy Valley, I um, came in on, um, well, on the youth group downstairs, and uh, I just thought I'd come on in, sit down, just just, to experience some of the youth ministry that's going on. I was a youth pastor, just freshly out of being a youth pastor, and thought this would be fun to see what's going on, and maybe I could have some fun with them as well. And all I got were were looks at me like, what are you doing here? You're the pastor. Is there something wrong? Do you need to talk to us? (laughs) I was like, no, I'm just here to have fun with you guys too. It was interesting. And the same thing here with Samuel as he comes into Bethlehem. They feared Samuel because he'd come to do some judging possibly. And why would he come to do some judging? Was there something wrong going on here? So when Samuel arrived in Bethlehem, they, the officials feared that he'd come to hold court and execute some judgment. And uh, they, they were apparently unaware of any criminal action that required his presence. But Samuel was there. What's going on? But he had a heifer with him. He had a sacrifice he brought along with him. And so that appeased their worries a little bit there. Now I'm sure those, they, <laughs> the elders heard of Samuel's execution of King Agag, and so they're thinking, okay, he can take care of things. He can take care of business. Is there business that needs to be taken care of here? Should we be concerned? But Samuel assured them he had come to offer sacrifice. So Samuel charged them to consecrate themselves and, uh, and did that. And um, it, it, as they did that, they were preparing themselves for what was to come. And so also, too, Jesse's sons came as well. And there was a secret anointing that David was given. And he was being empowered by God's Spirit. In verses six through thirteen we see this going on. And let me read those to you. Verses six through thirteen it says, uh, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord was, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome, and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, uh, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. So here we see some perspectives, the choice that Samuel was looking at here in verses 6 and 7. He chose the firstborn. He saw the first son come out, and he's going, this is the one. This has got to be him. He's tall. He's handsome. He's charismatic. Samuel thought that surely this was God's choice. But again, he was looking at the outward appearances, and he was rebuked by God, and God didn't choose this one to be king. Samuel made that mistake of evalu- evaluating the men by their physical gifts. and uh, Again, God was trying to help him see this is not it. That's why you have all the sons coming through. God did, wasn't just going to say, go get David. He's the one. He wanted Samuel to learn something here as well. You don't look at the outward appearance and make that judgment call. Get to know the person totally. And so the basic qualifications of God for service was not physical appearance, but the heart. You know, the old old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't do that. Get to know the book a little bit more. Get to know the person a little bit more. Spend time with them. Man usually looks at the outward things, but the Lord looks at the heart of a person. The Lord judges the person by his heart and his heart alone. Jesus said this, and he said in John chapter seven, verse twenty-four: "Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment." And from the heart flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three tells us. But all these things lead us to the fact that we need to make sure that when we are with others around us, we need to make sure we don't we don't cast our opinions all because of what we see before us. We need to make sure we get to know people a little bit more. Get to walk around in their shoes a little bit more. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, Luke writes in his Gospel, chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, he says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. We need to be careful. We always hear the phrase, trust your heart, trust your heart. You know, uh, that's where all life is, of course, but but the heart is deceitful. <laughs> Who can know it, as Proverbs tells us. And we need to be careful that we don't just go with our instincts and in some things. We need to make sure that that we don't look at the outward appearance and go, mm, Don't think it's going to work. When you're with others and trying to make friends, give it time. Figure it out. Get to know the people. And then you have the choice of the father, Jesse. He brought each of his seven sons before Samuel, and each of them were rejected until they got to, finally, David. And that's where the choice of the Lord came in, verses 11 and 12. It was the youngest son. Son who was considered by his father not even to be eligible or qualified to be the future king. He's just out tending the sheep. He doesn't matter. He's too young. It wouldn't work. But God was saying, no, no, no. (laughs) He's the one. So David, the youngest, been left tending the sheep. And as the baby of the family, David had a very, very little status, but he was faithful to his father and to the Lord. He was doing what he needed to be doing. Matthew 25, verse 21 uh, illustrates David's life. It said, David began as a servant and became a ruler. He was faithful with a few sheep and then inherited a whole nation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things, Enter into the joy of your Lord. So as we are, as well, developing that heart for God, we need to be faithful with those few things that God has given us, doing the job that God needs us to do as David was doing as well, not worrying about the things around us. He was tending his sheep, and God found him. And Samuel immediately sent for David then and brought him in. The Lord identified David as his choice to be king. And as soon as David walked into Samuel's presence, the Lord said, this is the one. But keep in mind why he was God's choice, not because of his striking physical features. He was a little runt. He wasn't that huge. But because of his heart. He was a young boy with a heart after God's own heart, and his heart was to make him a better man than Saul. Only God knows the heart. Only God knows what's going on in a person's heart. We cannot judge that, but we can discern by the things we see, and be careful when you do that, because you might not be discerning correctly. It's a difficult task sometimes. And then there was the secret anointing of David in verse 13, in the presence of his brothers. And he's equipped and powered by the Spirit of the Lord. While he was being anointed, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and, uh, and it remained upon him from that day forward. God's Spirit never left David. Now remember that as we go through the other chapters coming through here, especially when we get to Bathsheba. The Spirit of God never left him. But the Spirit of God also empowers us as well. The greatest gift in the entire world is the gift of God's Spirit, the Comforter, guiding us, directing us. When we approach God through Christ, God places His own Spirit in us and the very core of our being, and we become indwelt by God's Spirit. It's God's Spirit who convicts and saves and gives us assurance of salvation. He guides us, He teaches us, He protects us, and He provides the necessities of life for us. He meeting all our needs. What more could a person ask? It is the Spirit of God who empowers us to conquer all the trials and temptations of life, which enables us to live a victorious and triumphant life day by day. So, what was this heart how did this man David, this young boy David, have this heart for God? What does it mean to be a man after his own heart? Let me share with you real briefly some three, four things of what this looks like. A man after God's heart honors the Lord. A man after God's heart honors the Lord. Saul was more concerned with his will than God's will. David was a man after God's heart in the way that he knew God's will was most important. Even when David didn't do God's will, he still knew God's will was more important than his own. All sin is a a sin, a sin and contempt of God, but David sinned more out of weakness and Saul more out of a contempt for God. Disobedience there. Man after God's heart honors the Lord. A man after God's heart enthrones God as king. For Saul, Saul was king. For David, the Lord God, was king. Both David and Saul would have thought sacrifice important before the battle, but David thought it was important because it pleased and honored God. Saul thought it was important because it might help him win a battle. For Saul, God would help him achieve his goals. For David, God himself was the goal. So Samuel enthroned God as king in his life. Thirdly, a man after God's heart has a soft, repentant heart as well. When Saul was confronted with his sin, he offered excuses. It wasn't my fault. Those people brought these things here. Uh, we We tried to kill everything else and destroy everything else. He gave excuses. When David was confronted with his sin, he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. When we are brought before our sin whether reading scripture, coming to church, hearing a message, or a good friend coming alongside us, a Nathan kind of friend coming alongside us and saying, you know, this has been wrong. And we realize and we look at it, we have a choice to to choose as Saul did or choose as David did. Give excuses or to admit, you're right. I am totally wrong. I have sinned. The man after God's heart, As a soft, repentant heart. And finally, a man after God's heart loves other people. A man after God's heart loves other people. Saul became increasingly bitter against people and lived more and more unto himself. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart in the way that he loved people. When David was down and out, he still loved and served those who were even more down and out than himself. So if we want to develop that heart, heart towards God, <clears throat> heart after, after God's heart. These are the things we need to consider. And the Lord has, has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. God was looking for this kind of man, and God found this man in an unlikely place. In fact, at this time, He wasn't a man at all. God is still looking for men and women after His own heart. Today, He's searching for those who will be after His own heart. And when we think of a man after his own heart, many of us think that this is a title reserved for a few super spiritual folks. It it isn't. We think it might not be for us, but it is. We want these kinds of people around us, but we never think we can be one of them. We aren't spiritual enough. But look at David, a warrior who killed hundreds of men with his own hands, a fugitive a traitor, a man who had seasons of backsliding, an adulterer, and a murderer. Yet he could be called a man after his own heart, a man after God's own heart. If David can have our sins, then we can have his heart. (laughs) We can love God and pursue him with the kind of focus and heart David had. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in some singing. If you... Are here today, and you realized, you know, David's heart. I want. I want to be a man like David. I want to be a person like David. Be after God's heart. Maybe there's some things in your life that you you've had excuses for, and you should have said yes. That is sin. And repent. Maybe there's situations where you felt like. Um, God is trying to lead you in in things and and you disobeyed. No, 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 that's for someone else. Now's the time to be able to make a decision whether you're going to continue in what Saul did or continue and begin what David was doing, going after God's own heart. To do that, it takes time to be able to stop long enough to sense God's leading in your life and to say yes to him be able to begin to say yes to him from this day on. And what better time to begin this year, 2020, to be able to say yes to God from here on out. Sacrifice is not what God wants. He wants obedience. And if we think we can sacrifice our way out of disobedience, we got another thing coming. We need to get right with God and then take the steps towards obedience with him. If God is speaking to your heart today, trust that you'll respond and how he wants you to respond. But uh, if, if something today that was said, and the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart has hit you, I encourage you, take some time and pray. Whether it's here at the altar or right there, and create a little altar with you there, bowing your head and listening to the music, but just praying to God. Trust that you'll do business with him.